Um, well, let's get to it today. I'm ready. I'm ready for today's message, and it's something that I was excited about last week. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, I, I think that it, this has the potential to maybe make some of you uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that because it's not anything that I'm going to manufacture out of the text, but the text itself is really difficult. We're going to walk through Mark chapter 10 today. We're in a series called Left is Mark where we're walking through the life of Jesus chapter by chapter, uh, section by section, verse by verse, and we're looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be in a really interesting story in Mark 10, and it may have some ramifications or implications for you as you live out your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is not about manufacturing an idea or a thought, but Lord, it's about immersing ourselves in the truth of your word. Jesus, we are going to say yes to this. We already just determine. We're going to say yes, Lord, even if it's a difficult message. Um, surgeries aren't fun. Cutting isn't good. You're a double-edged sword, and sometimes we have to say Lord, do your surgery on us in Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you guys, when you were a kid, you thought, just at some point in your life, like, I want to be rich. I really, really want to be rich. Anybody thought of that? I used to think that, like, I want to be rich. And what did that look like in your head? I'm just kind of curious. So um, did, you, did you imagine, like, a big, huge house, like MTV Cribs, like a big mansion, you know, like a bunch of, like, parties happening and music is blaring? Did you imagine maybe, like, a big swimming pool, right? That's part of the dream. How about, like, uh, uh, an indoor bowling alley, maybe, some of you guys? I don't know. Like, what did it look like for you? Probably different than the next person next to you. But, um, you know, do you imagine a yacht with friends? Do you imagine, you know, just, like, endless vacations? And, you know, what is it, when you, when you think about being rich, what is it that you, you hope to see or hope to achieve? Well, today, I want to talk about that because some people don't really know when they're rich. Uh, I had a friend of mine, he's a CEO of a company, still is, and um, he, he has a house here, he has a house in like Suncadia, uh, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and so, I mean, he, he's my like rich friend. I told him that one time we were, we were meeting, and he's, I said, dude, you're my rich friend. He's like, I'm not rich. And I'm like, yeah, you are. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. And he pointed out a bunch of other examples. So for him, he felt like he was. And he says, no, I'm just upper middle class. I'm like, dude, you're paying for lunch today. You're rich, uh, definitely. You're, and so, um, but sometimes people know, don't know. Ask the question, like, where's that line? You know, where's the rich line? Like, when do I cross over that line? Will I know that I'm rich? You know, it's like, for some of us, it's a little, like, you know, you get paid on, on the 15th. You know, it's like, I crossed the line. I'm rich. You know, I'm, I got paid. Yeah. And then for, but sometimes you don't know, you know. The, so if you're here and you're a student, you're like, dude, I'm definitely not rich. That's like, just get that out there. But here's the thing, like compared, you know, to most of the world, you, you kind of are, you know, you kind of are wealthy. Like, no, 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 Pastor Scott, you just don't understand. I am, I'm poor as Job's turkey. I'm a student. There's no way, like I'm calling my parents after church today because I can't even afford pizza perfection. I mean, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm not rich, and, and, I, and I understand that. Like, I, I mean, I get it. You know, you don't think that you are rich, and, but my hope today is that someday you will wake up rich, but rich in the right way, rich in the right things, and that's the focus of our talk today. We want to be rich, but in a way that honors God, and we're going to meet a rich young man today. When we meet him, Jesus is 
uh, teaching, and this guy approaches Jesus. We're going to see it in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. Let's take a look at this guy, then step back a little bit and ask some questions about what it means to be rich, and then we'll go back into the story and see how it concludes and unfolds. It's a really dynamic, powerful story. And so as he was setting out in, on his journey, that's Jesus, a man ran up kind of like a fanboy, he ran up and knelt before Jesus and he said, he's, so he submitted before God, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, really powerful question. And in verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And he goes on, he lists them. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, that's lying, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the guy says, hey, Jesus, good news is I have uh, all, all of these I've kept from my birth. Like I, I am really good to mom and dad. I don't lie. I I haven't ever committed adultery. I've never murdered anyone. So I'm I'm doing pretty good, right, Jesus? Well, we'll see. We'll see. It seems like he is doing pretty well, though, at first, right? He's on his knees, and he says, good teacher, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then he he says at the end, uh, okay, teacher. Notice he didn't say good teacher anymore. And he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. But before we get on to the rest of the story, we have to answer a basic question. And number one is this, um, is, is it wrong, is it wrong to be rich? Is it, because there's, there's a theory out there that some people have, and that is, if, if you are wealthy, uh, you're probably doing something wrong spiritually. And that, that's not true. Jesus was born in poverty. That's absolutely true. Jesus said in, uh, in Luke 6, 20, blessed, happy are the poor. Happy are the poor. So Jesus clearly had a heart for the poor, had a heart for those who were poor. And Paul, uh, when he wrote to Timothy, uh, let's see what he says, because this is the thing. We have to take scripture as, in, its, in its entirety. We have to look at the overarching message of the Bible. And so let's go look at what Paul says to uh, his mentee, Timothy, and, and what he asks Timothy to do in leading the people in his congregation. So 1 Timothy six 17, we're gonna just spend a little bit of time here. He says, as for the rich in this present age, Get rid of them, get them out of the church. They're not biblical. If you're rich, no, he doesn't say that. He says, charge them not to be arrogant, he says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly does what? Provides us with everything to enjoy. So he's saying, these people have a lot of stuff, but they can't be arrogant about it. What does he mean by that? Don't be arrogant. Don't think that it's all because of you. Don't basically, don't think that, okay, I've lived hard. Uh, I've worked hard. I've, I've uh, lived beneath my means uh, that uh, I've invested well. And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm wealthy. I've access to capital. Um, but but the, the issue isn't that. It's that everything is a gift from God. Every, every dollar, every, every access to resources that you might have, every bit of wealth that you have is a gift from God. That's what he's really saying. Every blessing that we don't turn back into praise has the potential of becoming Pride. That's that's a good. That's something good to remember. That everything that that doesn't get turned back into praise has the potential in our lives of becoming pride. So what he's saying here is uh, charge them, teach them not to be arrogant. He goes on in verse eighteen. There to do what? To do good. To do good. To be rich in 
good works, good works, to be generous and ready to share. In verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of that which is truly life, that which is truly life. So what he's saying here, in contrast to the wealth that they have, they need to be generous with their wealth. They need to be generous with their means and and take hold of that which is truly life. Does that sound good? That sounds like something that I, I would want, to take hold of that which is truly life. So pastoral advice from Paul is that not that the rich are bad, but that you have to help the rich and teach the rich to be good at being rich to be good at being rich in that which matters the most. Let's find out what that is. Now, so I want to lay out two things. Number one, there's some good news for today, some really, really, really good news, and then there's some bad news. So I'm going to start with the good news, and the good news is really powerful. The good news is uh, it's amazing. Like, and when you first hear it, you're going to go, that doesn't sound right, but okay, just follow along with me. But the good news is this. Here's the good news. You are rich. You are rich. Um, No. (laughs) Pastor Scott, I'm not rich. Everyone in this room, if I said, raise your hands if you're rich, I mean, very few people are going to raise their hands, right? We're all going to, because it's one of those things, like if you, if I have a good marriage, I'm going to say, I have a great marriage. I'm not going to go, well, I have a great marriage. You know, it's not really that great. You don't ever downplay that, but if you have access to a lot of money, that's one of those things where you just don't raise your hand and go, yeah, look at me. I'm really rich. You know, I don't want to call attention to that. I understand. Um, but most of us here would say, I don't feel rich. I don't know what you're talking about, Scott. I don't feel rich. But here's, here's the thing. I think that you are. I think that you actually are very, very rich. Let me show you how. First of all, you have rich people opportunities. In this culture that we live in, we are a very affluent society, and we have access to opportunities that rich people have. For example, um, if you have kids, you can expose them to books and literature and zoos and libraries and amusement parks. And we have all kinds of activities, sports and things that people can get engaged in. Many of us here, we might have access to a car, but most of us will have a car or maybe even some of us have two cars, and I know for a fact that one or two of you have three cars, three cars. We are wealthy. We are all um, exposed to opportunities that rich people have. Many of you have two television sets, at least one television set, and one computer, maybe a computer plus an iPad plus a phone, maybe even a gaming console, all of that which has been provided to you, maybe because of somebody else's wealth, but nevertheless because you have access to wealth and opportunities. Well, again, Scott, you don't understand. I'm very, very poor. Okay. Well, according to the global standards, let's take a look at it. Gallup has a new metric that they have uh, globally. They've calculated what the per capita, just listen up. You numbers people will like this. What is the global per capita household income annually? This is the annual household income, not in America, but globally. What do you think it is? It's $2,930 annually. $2,930 annually. It's the per capita household income. So how are you doing against that? If you make over $33,000 annually, you are in the top 1% of wage earners globally. $33,000. Now, many of you in this room, some of you don't, 
Many of you far exceed that. So let me just give you some perspective. Now, first of all, I totally understand that some of us, we have very significant and real financial challenges, and I'm not, I'm not overlooking that, and I'm not downplaying it. Like, there's definitely many of us that are walking through some very dark, difficult places financially, and I, I get that. But, but for some of you that are pushing back and saying, I'm really not rich, I really don't feel rich, uh, just consider that maybe today, you're gonna be driving home after the service in your car, to your climate-controlled house, you might upload a picture onto your free Instagram account uh, of your pepperoni pizza that you called in and a driver got into his car and drove that pizza to your house and you paid for it with a piece of plastic and you used your iPhone to upload this picture with an unlimited data plan. Like, is that any of us? That could happen, right? It could happen. And so we have access to those things. Some of you might drive by 15 of these incredible buildings in town. They're called restaurants. And you'll drive by 15 of them to get to the 16th one, which is your favorite restaurant. And you will sit down and enjoy really three meals, you know, the appetizer and then the entree and then dessert, all three of those things, and you will enjoy that in your favorite restaurant. Many of you will do that. Why? Because you have access to a lot of wealth that many others across the globe would not have. And so the good news is, is that you're, you're very rich. You, have, you are very rich. Like in terms, I, mean, I want you to think globally for a second, you are in a very affluent society. Very affluent society with a lot of opportunity that many in this world would give a lot to have. And you, you have it. And so the good news is you are rich. But there's, but there's some bad news. <laughs> the bad news is, okay, the bad news is you're rich. <laughs> that is the bad news. <laughs> and you are, you are rich, and your being so is one of the greatest spiritual disadvantages that you have. It really is. Back to the rich young man. Let's take a look at how he responded to Jesus in Mark 10, verse 21. Now, this is so important. When Jesus, he looked at him, he said, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing. Let's stop there for a second. We get a little bit of a glimpse of Jesus kind of from the inside out. Jesus loved this guy. How did the writer of Mark, how was he able to know that Jesus loved this rich young man? For one thing, Jesus had to have told somebody. So likely after this whole thing, Jesus, this experience with him, Jesus said, you know what, I really love that guy. And so we know that Jesus loved this man, loved him individually, loved him personally, loved him in a way that only an in, the intimate love of a creator to his creation could love. Jesus loved him. And he said to him, you know what? There is one thing that you lack, one thing that you need to do. And he says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And then some of the saddest words in this passage are disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, he was sad, he was dejected, for he had great possessions. In Luke, he was called the rich young ruler, which meant that he probably had access to employees, and, and there were many that were, he was responsible for, and all of the entanglements of his wealth and all of the complexities of it, his investments, he literally could not imagine disentangling himself up, and so rather than going all in and saying, okay, Jesus, if that's what you want, I'll follow you, enjoy, and have those treasures in heaven. Instead, he said, you know what, I, I just can't, I can't imagine it, and he broke down, and he was very, very sad. Even though 
Jesus loved him and he said, he said I can't, and he, and he walked away dejected. Now, a couple things about this. First of all, do not, really important that you realize this, as a Bible teacher, this is my teaching hat on for a second, don't look at texts like this and assume that all of what Jesus is saying to this man applies directly to you. Realize that Jesus never, this is the only time where Jesus told someone to give all of, they, all of their possessions, sell it and give it to the poor and follow him. This is a specific uh, charge to this man. It's not for you, so you don't have to worry about going to the bank tomorrow morning, liquidating your assets, you know, uh, selling everything and giving it to the poor. This is for this man. This was his problem, and he had to deal with it before the Lord. Jesus is not saying to him that I'm opposed to things in general. I'm not, God is not opposed to us having things, but what he does not want is for things to have us. He doesn't want things to own us. He doesn't want us uh, to have things that will rule our hearts and control us. And this man had lots of entanglements and they were controlling him. They had his heart. In Mark 10, 23, Jesus then turned to his disciples after the guy had left and he says, you know what? Um, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult, Jesus? Well, he goes on in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I'm well aware that there are some theories about what the eye of the needle is and that it may be a gate in Jerusalem and then the camels would have to stoop down and that was a sign of humility. But really what Jesus is doing is he's creating this impossible scenario and saying that it's so difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God that it's pretty much like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. It's that impossible. Now, the good news is we're gonna see it later that with Man, what is impossible with God is possible. So hang on to that hope. But the good news is that you're rich. And so we're actually a lot more like the rich young guy than you might think. But the bad news is, is that it's also one of the greatest hindrances and, 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 and obstacles to us having a dynamic faith. And so the bad news is, is, is that we're rich. Yeah. It's a tremendous spiritual disadvantages. There's three challenges that we face um, as, as rich people, three challenges. I just want to go over them really quickly. Number one is, as a wealthy person, it's harder for us to depend on God. How many of you guys have ever been to a d developed world? Have you traveled? You've been to like places where food is scarce. Uh, I, I remember, you know, growing up in, a, in an affluent family uh, with with lots of you know provisions and things in my life, and I never experienced life outside of uh, of like you know Europe and and the U.S. And all of a sudden, I go to Africa, and I'm there, and I'm seeing that people are struggling with the basics, like nutrition and food, and there's, I'm seeing starvation for the first time, and, uh, and it blew me away. It, it, was, it shocked me. I'll never forget, and, and even to this day, I carry that with me, and I've had a chance to go back several times. One of the things that you realize, though, is that people in those developing countries have nothing but God to depend upon, so, but they're, they're, they're full of joy, they're, and actually, I was kind of jealous of them, like such incredible joy. I remember meeting this kid. He had a bicycle rim that he'd gotten off of an old bicycle and the spokes weren't on it, but with a stick, like he was able to do these really cool tricks and do things I couldn't even imagine. He'd mastered it because that was his only toy, right? He didn't have bins and bins of Legos and, and robots and all that. He had one bicycle rim. He was an extremely happy kid and, and loved like showing off what he could do with this thing. Incredible joy, incredible, because he had nothing, but he depended upon something 
It's much, much different for his joy. How many of you guys, this is a question for you, you don't have to raise your hand in response to this, but just between you and God, how many of you had had to sincerely pray at some point in your life the way that Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? How many of you guys have honestly had to pray for that? Like, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I'm hungry, I'm starving. God, give me this day my daily bread. I'm sure there are some in this room that have prayed that prayer, but not many, not many, because for many of us, we open up our cupboards and there's five different kinds of cereal, or, you know, there's access to bread, there's access to food, you know, you've got bobs, you've got all kinds of things that you can eat at, there's, you know, go to Chick-fil-A, I mean, there's so much in terms of choices and access that we have that often we don't, we're not depending upon God, we're not praying, give us this day our daily bread, give us our sustenance, we have a cabinet, cabinet full of stuff uh, to eat. The second thing that it does, number one, you have uh, the heart, it's harder for you to depend on God, but the second thing is our wealth distracts us from true priorities, from the things that really matter in life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'd have to pretty much agree with me that being here in community with God's people on a regular basis, worshiping, learning the Bible, and then going out transform to make an impact in the world. This is so important. This is a top priority for my family to be here every single Sunday. And and even before we were here as a pastor, like we did not miss church. Totally a priority. But some of you, some of us, we are so wealthy that we barely get here once a month. Why is that? Why is that? Because we have rich people distractions. We have other things, so many things that we could be doing on the weekend, so many places that we could go, so many ways that we could spend our money and our time. And so we literally, we get here once a month because we have rich people's distractions. We get busy with our distractions. And and the problem is, is it not just affects church, but it affects personal relationships, that we get so busy that we barely have dinner together as families anymore. We barely sit down and like have real meaningful relationships face-to-face with people that we love, that know us, and that we share life with. It's true because we are distracted from those true priorities. And then finally, we have a greater responsibility. We have, um, number one, we, it's harder for us because we are not depending on God, we're depending upon our stuff. Two, our wealth distracts us from our true priorities. But lastly, we have a greater responsibility. Luke 12, 48 says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. That's speaking to you and to me directly. Much required, much given. And so we have greater responsibilities. But the bad news is, is that for many of us, at the end of the month, at the end of our, uh, our lives, right, where we look at it and we, we, we take a look at it and we say, you know, where is my wealth? We spent it all upon ourselves. We didn't give it away. And that's the story of the rich young man is that he was not willing to be generous. He was not willing to share. He'd accumulated so much stuff. And, and this is the thing. Like, are we, are we a generous church? Are we a giving church? Are we a sending church? Is this the kind of church where the, the, the blessings of God that have come upon us are so much more than we even need? And yet, God wants to turn us into generous, loving, giving people. What does it look like when a church full of people that are rich, as I told you, you were, what do we do with that? Well, number one, we have to invest it. We have to give it away. We invest it in how? In our community, in sharing the things that we have with those people in our community. We share our time, our energy, our connections, our relationships. 
We have to give resources away. We don't charge for things. We say, come and experience the church. Come and experience life. Come and experience the things that we do in serving across the board in our community. That is the kind of church that we need to be. We have to be so full of generosity that when people see us, they're likely to look at how we're generous and say, what is it that motivates that person? And that gives us an opportunity to share. Why do we do it? We do it because of Jesus Christ. We do it because we want to follow Jesus. And, and, I, and I hope that the response for many in the community that see how we, we act and, and how we serve in the community will say, why is it that they do what they do? And we can tell them it's because of our Savior Jesus. I want us to be a church, in short, that is good at being rich in the right way. God has blessed us with so much more than we need. And we have an opportunity to give back to him because of what he has done for us. Let's go back and read again 1 Timothy 6.18, just so that we fully understand. I just want to circle back to it because this gives us the template of what being a rich person means and what we should do in our church. We are to do good. We are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, ready to share, ready to give, ready to give away, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of that which is truly life, life abundantly, everlasting life. How many of you want to be rich in what matters most? How many of you want to be rich in what matters most? How many of you guys want to walk away sad like the rich young ruler? And what's interesting about that story is this. It's not often the money. And I, and I really think that, like, with the rich young ruler, if it was just about cash that he had in the bank, it would have been really easy. But what, what wealth does, and this is not on one of the points, but I really think it's important to understand, wealth creates complexity and entanglements. And if we're not living simply and we don't have a plan to live simply, we get entangled in our wealth, and it becomes really, really hard to separate us from it. The thing about wealth is it gives you freedom, freedom to do things, right? I mean, freedom to go places that you couldn't go if you didn't have it, freedom to give, freedom to serve, but also freedom to entangle yourself in in increasing debt loads. And when you do that, you're not happy anymore because you become a slave to that which God has blessed you with. And so there's a the thing that wealth is both a good news, right, and, 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 and it's bad news. It can be one of the greatest things that you could possibly hope for, but also can be one of the worst things and one of the worst um, spiritual distractions that you could have never hoped for. And so what I hope to do today is give you a perspective of what being rich in the right way means and what it matters to Jesus The greatest hope is in the next thing that Jesus says in verse 26. Back to the story of the rich young ruler. In verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished. His disciples were going, wow, that's crazy. I have the needle and all that stuff. And he said to him, well, um, and they said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus responded. He looked at them and he said, with man it is impossible. It is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And so, Friends, look, there's always something standing between you and your fullness in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it is your wealth. Maybe it's something entirely different. And for you, that's not a struggle. And this message isn't so much for you as it is for the person sitting next to you. That could be. But ladies and gentlemen, like, it is something, there is something between you and Jesus. And are you willing to walk away from it for the sake of knowing Christ and of having the fullness and the sufficiency of Christ in your life to live that abundant life that he promises 
With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I want you to understand about that your obstacle is that what God wants to do is not power you through it and push you through it. Have you ever gotten too into a line and then somebody like annoys you and jumps in front of you and they position their bodies between you and where you want to go? Like you're trying to get to the checkout line and all of a sudden somebody runs up and gets in front of you and then they want to write a check or just like spend a bunch of your time and you're like, oh my goodness, it's so annoying. Well, the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't want to just push those people out of the way or push those obstacles out of the way. He wants to actually lift you up over them so that you can have him, that you can experience him. He says, when, with man, it's impossible. You can try all you want to get where you want spiritually, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. The more a person is able to control their life, through wealth and through the power of money, wealth, and influence, the more likely they are to not lean on God, to not rely on him, but they will rely on their money's ability to make things happen. I want you to rely on God. I want, I want money to be a tool for you to live out your faith in Jesus Christ. When you have it, if you don't have it, fine. I want you to have it someday, but then I want you to have it with a generous heart and be that kind of person that be willing to give it away if that was standing between you and, and the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. I want you to see money and have a relationship with money that is a, a biblical foundation of wealth, that you can have it and you can be uh, full of godliness and generosity or you can have it and it can take you to a very dark place where you will walk in sadness and dejected because of it. We don't want that. We want the fullness of joy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is not an easy message for some of us to hear <laughs> because we've been raised in America to believe that, God, if we just could get more and have more and have more friends and have more wealth, that there's so many opportunities that would open up for us and we would be just truly happy if we got over that line <laughs> and we were rich. But God, what this lesson teaches us, Lord, is that is not what money buys us. Sure, it does give us opportunities. It buys results it buys influence, and money is definitely a catalyst in the world for all that's, all that's happening. I mean, God, we just look at Wall Street. We look at all kinds of things going on in the world, and Jesus, it's, it's, it's scary. We don't even fully grasp like how, how much of a, a control over our lives it really has. And in fact, that's why this message can be a little bit offensive, Lord, when, because we're Americans. We, we just, you can talk about anything, God, you know, but, but money. It's hard for us to hear stories about money and it, it affects us right where we're walking and living. It affects our aspirations. It affects our plans and our goals. But Lord, where it's preventing us from powerfully experiencing the fullness of a walk in you. We confess, God, that we have sinned in our plans for our money. We have sinned in the way that we've used our money. We have sinned in the ways that we have hoarded our money and not been generous in giving it away. And Father, we repent today of that. We will lay it aside and do what you call us to do. Lord, if you call us to be more generous, our answer is yes, that's what lordship means. It's yes, Lord, okay, I will give what it takes 
to follow you. I will do what it takes. I will have the courage to face my stuff, my junk, and to deal with it in a way that I can move it aside or you can move me over it that I might experience a fullness of discipleship and walking with you, God. And Lord, I, I just know I, 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 that the, the saddest thing about that story is that the rich young ruler, he just missed that opportunity. I, I pray that no one in this room would miss this opportunity between you and them that they might have fullness of life In Jesus' name, amen, amen.